Well, hi everybody. Good evening and welcome to RoomNow's Women in Rheumatology Month, the XX Factor. This is our first Tuesday night rheumatology. I'm Dr. Rachel Tate and along with my co-editor, who unfortunately couldn't be here tonight, Dr. Katherine Dow, we want to wel welcome you. So this month is Women in Rheumatology Month for RoomNow. Um, we're going to highlight personal blogs, experiences. We're going to touch on therapeutic updates on sex differences and different disease states. Yes. We're going to do room thoughts on, on important topics. We've got a lot to talk about tonight, too, obviously, as you can see. These topics are for women, about women, but they can also be applied to all of us. And of course, it goes without um, not, well, not to mention we should we absolutely do need to mention this. We want to thank Bristol Myers Squibb and of course the Be Now Network of Women for their partnership this month. We really appreciate your help with this. So we're welcoming you to Straddling Career and Family. Just really quickly before we get started, just a few housekeeping things to talk about. Um, if you note, there is a Q&A feature on this webcast. It's been activated. We need your help. Um, please put in comments and questions, concerns, different strategies on how you, or even if you have achieved a good work-life balance, what that looks like for you. We, we need that. We need this information. Um, please put that in the Q&A section, not in the chat though. That would be very helpful. As time permits, we will get to your questions tonight, but throughout the month of April, we're going to address these, these issues and these questions for you. And then if you have not already done so, definitely register with Room Now. I highly encourage you to do this. Please fill out our weekly surveys. These are really helpful. We're going to launch them every Monday so that throughout the campaign, we're able to talk about these pertinent issues on Tuesday night rheumatologies. So make sure you're highlighting these um, changes for us. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. So I am surrounded by amazing panelists tonight, and I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. And I'm going to start with Una. Wonderful. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me to this panel, to this whole month of discussion among um, colleagues and friends in rheumatology. So my name is Una McCreese. I'm a rheumatologist in Dallas, Texas at UT Southwestern in the Dallas VA. Um, my work is largely clinical research. Um, my passion is at the interface of musculoskeletal pain and aging. I'm very passionate about geriatrics. And Una, your work is incredible. So thank you for being here tonight. In just a second, we'll have you dive in a little more, but I want to introduce Marcy. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me here today. So super excited. Thank you. Um, so my name is uh, Marcella Ferrara. I uh, Omar C. Ferrara. That Marcella is the serious name. Uh, so and I am not that serious. So uh, I uh, I was at uh, critical care infectious diseases uh, uh, doctor. I'm originally from uh, Colombia, Latin America, uh, and then. <laughs> no. And then, and then I get salsa, yeah. And then I had, um, I was diagnosed with relapsing polychondritis. 
Uh, so I decided to uh, do a rheumatology fellowship and uh, I did that in at NIAMS and uh, with a lot of uh, support and, and help during uh, my fellowship, uh, particularly Peter Grayson, which has been my um, you know mentor and has been helping with all of this. We develop a prospective cohort of patients uh, with relapsing polychondritis at NIH. And within that cohort, um, we got to work with David Beck, which is uh, he's in NYU right now. And then we describe, which is the person that led the discovery of Bexa syndrome. And then we describe this, this new disease. And then currently I see patients with relapsing polychondritis and Bexa. That is amazing. Again, thank you for your contributions. Um, Yvonne, tell us just a brief introduction about yourself today. Okay, I'm a rheumatologist. I've probably been around um, uh, longer than all of you, uh, probably old enough to be uh, most of your mothers. Uh, so <laughs> things were different um, and a, a little more difficult, but we got through. It's been fun. I'm uh, basically a clinical rheumatologist. I have in my background, though, I uh, when the Cleveland Clinic in Florida first came, I actually was the chairman of their department there for about five years. And then life circumstances led me to do something I never intended to do, which is to go on my own. So, but it's been a fun journey. Well, Yvonne, speaking about that, we'll, we'll start with you. You have done so much in your career. And I mean, from serving on the FDA, you've run a busy practice, you teach, you do research, you've raised three great kids. Tell us about your experience with all of this, straddling family and career. Well, it, it hasn't always been easy, but the first thing I would say to everyone is you have to make your own choices. And I know that early on in my career, when I worked for a, a major clinic, and I won't, uh, uh, well, I guess I've given the name, but I can remember there were a number of us women who every night would be getting out late. And, you know, I had to ultimately make the decision that that's not going to be my life. I wanted my kids to remember me. All of the, my mother, my aunts and so forth would say, it seems like it's taking a long time, but it's gonna go quickly. Do what's good for you and your family. And so while I never ever intended to go out in private practice, I did it so that I could only work four days a week because by that time my husband had developed uh, a, a, a serious case of uh, actually a very advanced uh, case of uh, multiple sclerosis. So I had to be mom and dad, but I wanted to be there. And so at a time when everyone thought it was crazy, I said, I'm not working on Fridays. I'm just working four days a week. And I, even though my kids have grown, I still don't work on Fridays. <laughs> was that, that sounds revolutionary in a way, you know, to not work on Fridays, but yet that seems to be something that we now see a lot of. Now you see a lot of it. That then it was revolutionary. I got kicked, I got pushed back from a lot of people, but it worked. Oh my goodness. That's that's really amazing. Marcella, Marcy, tell us a little bit about your experience. You, you started talking about this a second ago. Tell us a little bit more about your experience with balancing. Hmm. Yeah, so it is <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's just very easy to, uh, you know, to tell people, you know, like, yes, you do the balance, you do this, but then go and try it and then see how easy that is, right? And all this uh, topic about burned out and then everybody talks about it, but really do we know what it is? And then what are the things that we have around us that are actually helping us to do that? 
In terms of uh, um, balance at the beginning of my career, uh, I think that mm -hmm. I, I was uh, I was like like you and I was just very um, like career, right? Like I'm going to create a career and I'm going to do ID and I'm just going to work all the hours and I love it and it was great. And then um, and then I decided I just wanted to do clinic work and then when I got sick, so the having a disease uh, have uh, teach me a lot you know, being, being a patient, they have teach me about how you have to appreciate every day that you have every day, every second, every, everything you, you try to make good memories because everything can just go like this. Right. So I think that, that it, it was the first thing that helped me realize that I needed to have a balance was my husband. Right. Because then I realized that it's so much fun to spend time with my husband and then uh and then I had my baby you know like and then after I had my baby because everybody keeps saying that I don't know if that other moms had the, the same physicians mom have the same experience but when I was pregnant everybody was like oh everything is going to change when you have a baby and I was like no and then I saw my baby and I was like I love you so much I don't want to be without you and then that changed everything like everything the way that you see the world right and then and then I got sick so uh for me it is um it's, it's a must right it's not a choice because if I don't sleep then I have issues but it is hard because it's so many things right so it's work baby work, and then disease and then oh I see you on mission oh okay ER visit right so it's that all of these things in the middle um, and I think that for you to be able to have a balance, you just need a lot of help. You need a help help at work, help at home, help in the street, help everywhere, right? Because and then asking for help is the other uh, aspect that it is hard. I think that when you're a physician and then uh, or any profession as a woman and then you learn that you work and you do all of this and then I'm so independent and I can do everything and and then asking for help for me at the beginning was very difficult um but after I did now I am not going back I really like the help so um so I think that that would be like one one of the uh, advice that uh, appreciate life and all the things that you have because you can never go back you have a baby and your baby is only going to be four years for one year right so if you yes. did not see that and spend the time is you can't go back Right. So I think that knowing those things ahead of time, and I wish that somebody like before have have these uh, discussions with me. So I think that maybe people that are listening, I hope that is helpful um, because I grew up being like this. My dad is a, is a trauma surgeon. So like two plus two is four and then you go to work. And and that one has been great. Right? <laughs> it's like very resilient. Um, How do you feel about I, a rheumatologist's daughter? <laughs> Gotta be proud of you. <laughs> Yeah, it's different, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a. I think that that is the other thing that that uh, you need to have a purpose. I mean, if you have very clear where you're going, what you want, and what are you doing, things is is very easy to make it the, your path, right? Yeah, Yvonne, to, uh, back to purpose really quickly. You mentioned something kind of similar to purpose, which is you had a need in your family right? It mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily your children, right? It was your husband. Mm -hmm. um, did that help you redefine purpose? What did that do for you during this time period? 
Well, it, it certainly helped me to re redefine the direction my life was going in. I never wanted to be in private practice, but as I evaluated, so I had my husband, but I also had um, two little children at the time. And I, like I said, I wanted them to know me. The older, uh, they weren't physicians, but the older women in, in my life all kept telling me, you know, it's going to go quickly. You, it seems long, but it's going to go quickly. Spend time with them. And I, I wanted to hear that. I wanted to listen to that. I know people say everyone has to make their own mistakes, but not true. You can learn from others' mistakes. And so I learned from some of those who said they didn't. And I said, no, I, I, I'm going to change this so that I can spend some time with my kids. And speaking of learning from others' mistakes, Una, I feel like we've had a conversation about kind of the predecessors and people who've come before us. What's been your experience with, <laughs> with trying to balance it all? Yeah, I've had a lot of uh, mentors, a lot of women in my life who I've learned from, including my own mom, my aunts. Um, so I, I have a family of two academic folks here. So I'm in academic medicine, I do a lot of grant writing and you know writing manuscripts. And my husband's also in engineering as a professor. So we're always kind of balancing the grant writing, the conference schedules and the career in academics. And then we have two girls, Salia is 14, Lydia is 11. And the older they get, this is such a sweet spot. And as soon as they hit elementary school, I realized how quickly this is going. And now the fact that, you know, Thalia, we only have a few more years with her. I'm very mindful of the quality time and listening to our kids and just slowing down. And it, it, there's no balance. I can't, I, I can't say that I believe that there is a balance. I think that this, the priorities and the purpose actually shifts over, you know, as we go through our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it all kind of morphs depending on your your, your children, your parents, all of the needs. You know, I was just kind of reflecting in preparation for this. You know, I'm first generation in this country. My parents immigrated. We have a tiny family in the US and I spend all my time going to them, you know, taking care of us and having our life. But a lot of my thoughts are, when will I see my family next? Whether it's in California or in Greece, but it's also how do you balance your career and life when you have no family in the city you live in? So I think that is a, a major um, consideration all of us on the call probably live with. In fact, I'll open that up. Marcy, you got excited when Una said that. What are your thoughts? Tell us more. I know it's exactly what I was thinking of. Like everybody had like families, you know, that the, the people that I knew when I was pregnant, I was like, oh yeah, my mom. And I was like, and, and who is going to be with you? And I'm like, nobody lives here close to me uh, so uh it is hard when when you have no one that you can rely on right to go and pick up your kid or you're you're late or something happened at the hospital and and then uh, and then what do you do so then you have then you have to ask for help and then you just you know what i did is you just get nannies or then you got the the service that have like the pre-care and the aftercare and then you develop your system right the best way you can but yes, it would have been better uh, if you have family around. I think it's super important. And I, I think about that a lot because this has forced us, you and me, Marcy, and other people without fam immediate family to create our village and to develop and nurture relationships. 
And so those become the parents of my kids' friends to carpool to rowing or soccer or whatever it is, because I definitely can't be there, but I do know what I love. I love sitting on the side of the soccer field, on the side of a river for a regatta. And I might not transport them to practice, but you better believe I'm gonna be, make it you know, to the big event. And it, it's just so meaningful. And we are so lucky to have the opportunity to cheer them on, yeah. So who becomes your family? How does that, how do you transition that? You, all three of you have really great perspectives of what this has mean, what this has meant throughout your, your career, your life, where you're at now, where you were four years ago. What does that look like? Well, my other physician uh, friends became my family too, because even though I have a big family, they were mostly in Maryland. And yes, they did come it down for the big things. When my husband was in the hospital, my mother came down. When I needed a critical babysitter, my mother and my mother-in-law divided uh, that. But but they had their lives too. So I formed um, coalitions with uh others who were physicians like I, and we babysat for each other, we did things together, and the village uh, became our family. Una, Marcy, any more thoughts on that? No, it's the same. So my, uh, my best friend, she is uh, critical care. And I met her when I was in, uh, when I came to do a rotation here, she was a fellow and I was a resident. Uh, and then we, we realized that we kind of like have the same behavior, right? Like, like we never leave the unit, we never go to sleep. Uh, so I know, but I like it. It was fun. And then, um, and yeah, is it, her family is my family. So yeah. you know, she was there when I delivered my baby. I was there when she had her baby. I didn't want to give it to to the dad of the baby, you know. I was just holding the baby, <laughs> like, it's my baby. Uh, so um, yes, it's your friends. So you need to uh, choose your friends very well, and make sure that you know that you have people that are going to be there for you always, right? Be and then when you have difficult situations, and then something happens, like like you get psychotic because you have like encephalitis or something like that, or steroids and all that. And then the people that are there, uh, I mean, in my case, I don't. I, I know everybody has other difficult situations. Um, then you uh, then you realize who are your real friends. Yeah, which I think that is is important. I would also add that. Um, actually hiring the right person for your family to serve as a nanny or babysitter or a college student who doesn't mind driving to activities. We've been just incredibly lucky and sometimes it just boils down to luck, but um, all three of the young ladies who've been in our family are truly family and they swing by and have dinner with us and they cry on our front porch when they don't get their next job. And we, they're, they're, they're our family, even once they're no longer taking care of our girls. So that's, it's it's been lovely. Yeah. The, the other thing that I wanna that I wanna add is that when I don't know about you, Ivan, but when I've been in difficult situations, then you realize that <clears throat> there is more people that care about you than you than you realize, right? So it's like I'm in the hospital and then all of these people are are coming to visit and I was like, oh, I didn't know that you care so much, right? So it's 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 nice, you know, to realize that humans we care for each other yeah we should care for each other right that's kind of what you're saying you don't always know who does mm -hmm. Yvonne who was there for you during a hard time 
It was it your mom? Was it your best friend? Who was that? Well, it that was happen? it was all of those. It was my church group that I belonged to. That was a group of ladies who were wonderful. I, I remember when I had my last child, which I thought was going to be the easiest, but turned out to be the most grueling and most difficult. Uh, my mom warned me, though. But anyway, I remember that one of the ladies said, Yvonne, this is when I was very early on in the pregnancy. She says, uh, Yvonne, if you ever... Um, in the situation when you're having your baby where you need your mom and she can't be there, call me. And I thought, yeah, but I'm, well, it turns out my mom had something happen and she couldn't be there. And right in the midst of it, and my husband was doing the best he can, but was having a flare and I needed her. And I said, Chris, call. She tells me she was in the shower. Her husband knocked on the shower door and says, Yvonne is in labor. She's calling. And I remember when she came in and put her hand on my head and began to pray. I, I understood what the Marines are like or whomever when they're, the enemy has them down and all of a sudden they hear the rescue and they know their, their fellow Americans have come. So that's how I felt. And, and, and those kinds of um, friends and support, um, it, it was just wonderful. Yeah, I, I think support is a really key piece. Yeah. Now, I am going to ask kind of an interesting question, but I'm going to share it in a different way. So I, I have a toddler. She's two. She's wonderful. Uh, when you talk about a difficult child, she's not a difficult child, but boy, is it difficult to raise her. I feel like I'm also raising myself in this experience. I think you ladies can understand what I'm talking about, and I hope some of our audience members can too, but in my opinion, it is not a balance. Marcy kind of touched on this too. I, I think it's more like a pendulum. Some days it's swinging in to the work kind of area. Some days it's swinging into family, but it is constantly a struggle. And to me, the word balance is really a misnomer. How do you guys feel about that? What do you think? I think in a way it is a misnomer because it's not that you always have everything equal. Things aren't always equal. How much of one thing depends on what's going on in your life. And it depends on, as you alluded to, how what age your children are and what their needs are at the, at the moment, what they're going through. And sometimes you, you can't give 50-50. Sometimes you got to give 100 and let something hold a little bit. So it's it's the concept I understand, but we need to understand as we execute that concept, it's not going to be day by day, 50-50. Uh, it can't be. It's based on the need. Beautifully stated. I also kind of think that we tend to focus on work-life balance when our children are younger, but it's not just about children, right? That's right. Some of us mm -hmm. are helping to take care of older adults in our family, um, have other obligations outside of work, things that you love, whether that be traveling. It's, it's all about juggling, right? And what's the best advice that you've ever received when you're talking about juggling either your personal life or your career? I think communication. Right? I mean, with your husband, and then, uh, I mean, my husband is also a, a physician. Uh, I have the most amazing husband in the whole world, but, but he's, big, I mean, he's like, you know, somebody that is there all the time, no matter what, and it's like, so supportive, but you still have to communicate very well. And then I think that uh, sometimes it's difficult even for you as a person to realize that something is stressful or something is bothering you, and then maybe you're like, 
having a different, you know, behavior or or something like that. So I think that uh, just be more conscientious and and communicating, you know, uh, with with your you know partner what's going on, and then that way you could help each other and then get through the situation together. Yeah. What about you? So I once had this conversation with um, a dear friend uh, that I grew up with, who actually was my OBGYN, and she said something like, "You know, Una." don't let anyone tell you you can't have it all the fact is you got to figure out what it is you want and you can have it all but not all at once and these things may change over time and so it is reassuring um, to me as I float through these decades and, and I watch my kids and my husband and all of these relationships are you know changing over time and evolving really what we're looking for does change. So it's not stagnant, like you're piling on the wants and needs. No, these things change. It's very dynamic. And um, I agree. Sometimes, you know, we had a, um, a, a relative quite ill. I, I really gave 80% to support my family and my kids because I, I knew that's what we needed. And it felt good to be in a workplace that allowed me to do that. And that my village came through, there was food delivered, that kind of thing. And it made me feel, you know, oh, wow, this, this is quite nice. People are caring about us. Absolutely. Yvonne, do you have any thoughts on that? What's the best advice you've ever received? To uh, learn to say no. I had to learn to say no. And I had to learn that it was okay to say no. And even if someone got upset with me, uh, it was okay to say no. Uh, they'll get over it or they'll get through it. But I had to, I had to learn to say no. Can you teach me? Yes. <laughs> like, a, like a crash course that you can just go step one, step two, you pass, you got it. Uh, because I've been trying to do that for a long time and uh, still not able to. Yeah. It's hard to secret. Uh, well, I remember the, uh, there was a, uh, who was it? One of the uh, the um, first ladies uh, had something with drugs and was just say no. And I was going around saying, just say no. It wasn't to drugs, but it was, I don't have to do what you want me to do if that's not going to fit in with what we need to do. I mean, I'm I'm the type of person who like, like to be cooperative. I like to work together. But if I need to say no, I have learned to say no. Maybe not perfectly, but much better than at the start of my career. Well, I think Nancy Reagan would also probably want you saying no to drugs, but not <laughs> Yes, <enough>. I'm sure. <laughs> we need to get a t-shirt. Exactly. Just say no and wear it to work. I don't know if our bosses would love that. But I do think as women, sometimes we feel like these are all opportunities that may not come again. And so it's interesting trying to coach ourselves to realize, um, no, in order, in order to succeed, in fact, you have to say no to certain opportunities and they will indeed come back again at a more appropriate time. Yeah, that, that's a very important thing to do. And I remember when I was basically saying, no, I'm not going to work this way. I'm going to go in private practice. And I thought, there goes my opportunity to do any type of research. There goes my opportunity to teach. But that's not what happened. 
actually, I ended up opening my own clinical trial center, doing lots of studies, being part of uh, being on the FDA advisory committee, doing all kinds of stuff and working actually with academicians. I remember uh, there was one committee where at, at one of the uh, heads said, well, we need somebody. We've get, just got academic people on, on this committee. We need somebody who's not. And then the other person sort of winked at me. So um, so if if you say no and just go you know forge ahead it's it's amazing what you can do what you can create uh, on your own with your skills and your your knowledge and the support systems that you have you don't have to settle for second and third best you can have what's best for you it may take a bit rome wasn't built in a day but it can be done so what do you think about the comment that um, I've heard circulating through Twitter and a couple other places that you are replaceable at work, but you're not replaceable at home? How does that make you feel? Anybody? Una? <laughs> I, I, I have thought about this um, because sometimes, I, sometimes the workplace is not in the business of necessarily making us feel valued, you know? And so sometimes it does feel people come and go, you see your colleagues just kind of drift away, they leave because it, for various reasons and they get replaced. And it doesn't feel really good to see that happen. But I believe each and every one of us have very unique skill sets that we bring to the, to the table. They're not easily replaced. I personally think that Mama Una um, is, is in many ways definitely not replaceable. And I tend to give my best to my patients and to my research. And I come home a little depleted and sometimes impatient and not my best self. And that's the balance that I personally struggle with still. Um, I don't know if you guys have any suggestions on that. Yeah, guys, anything? Yeah, no, no, I, and I, I, yeah, I think that, I, I think that is not the fact that I think that they, they value you as uh, what you do. And I completely agree. We all have their skills. And then that is the reason that we work in that particular place. But uh, like the way that I see it is that um, your family and your friends are the ones that are always going to be there for you, right? If something happens. And, and I think it's probably because my experience have been a little bit more, you know, dramatic, you know, with the hospitalizations and all of these things. So when when you're in that kind of situation, eh, it, it's like, for example, I and I always said this to my dad because my dad was like the workaholic. So I said, dad, when you get sick, your paper is not going to come. Hello, Ricardo, how you're doing on the bed, right? So it's, it's going to be you, your wife and, and your children and, and the relationships that you develop with the people that are around you that love you. Now, is that is going to be, of course, is also the people that we were talking at work, right? Because they know you and it's the people that you spend the most time is the people at work. So I think that developing relationships with the people around you are more important than absolutely anything uh, that you do in, in any situation. Uh, of course, taking care of the patient, but that is a completely different topic that I am not going to get into because I just think that is very different right now. But in terms of that, I just think that the developing those relationships and as you were saying, Una, it is hard sometimes when, when you're tired. And then I just feel, for example, Sofita, Sofia, my, my baby, she's nine. I think that she's going to be 40 and I'm still going to call her my baby. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, yeah. 
and it's the same the same thing and then so uh like er, they they my my husband and and, and sofita they made a song uh, that mommy has always her face on the phone mommy has always her face on the phone like always like in the morning in the afternoon <laughs> just have to put it away uh, it's difficult right yeah marcy touching on that really quickly you've also been a patient a rheumatology patient how has that kind of helped you either better determine your own balance or maybe created a more of a struggle to find that balance? Oh, I have no, I have no boundaries. So I, I think that I have a balance, but I just think that they, they just understand that mommy just, you know, she's like, blah, blah, blah. but, uh, uh, but it, it's just a different feeling because I don't, um, you know, I don't feel that I'm working when I'm talking to these patients because I know what they're going through. And then having a disease that is difficult to diagnose, like like most of the autoimmune diseases, it's a lot of struggle, right? And then um, if I have the chance to help one person, I'm happy and it doesn't matter. Uh, so it changes things a lot. So, and then that division between the doctor and the patient and, and, and then the roles, right? And then how do you communicate? It's, it's a little bit challenging, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it is challenging. Mm. Let me ask you guys another question. We have a question in the Q&A that I wanna bring up early because I think it's a good one. Um, does being a mom make you a better doctor? Are you more empathetic? Do you approach things with tough love? What does that look like? Oh, I think it did, but I, but at the beginning, I just thought like it, it really, I don't know if it was the hormones or what it was, but I went back to the ICU and I was, I remember seeing this 35 year old in the ICU and I was like, you don't understand. He's somebody else, baby. Right. And I was just, just like the feeling, right. That, that is because so, and then I could not take care of children anymore. I, emotional because they, they make you do that in the ICU. And I was like, just can't do it, you know, very difficult. And in terms of being more sensitive, I guess that it, not with the patients, but I think that with the people that you work with, it makes you, I think that in, in my case, more uh, empathetic and less judgmental of, of what is happening because then you know what you have to do. So every morning when you don't have a baby, you wake up, you take a shower, you go, right, you go, right? You have a baby and then it's like, you maybe didn't sleep the whole night. You wake up, then you have to do breastfeeding. Then you have to take a shower. Then you need to make sure the baby's okay, right? And then you go to work like this, right? And late, right? So no judgment because you don't know what other people are going through. So you've used kind of your patient experience to better hone in on your communication skills and better develop those relationships, it sounds like. That's been one way that you've really able to, I don't want to say make the transition, but also um, kind of maybe balance things. Did, did I understand that right? Is that what? Yeah. Una, what about you? Your research is really interesting, specifically in a geriatric population. Tell me a little bit about how you've utilized that to kind of balance things or or be better understand it as we transition through those phases I think you said it beautifully float through the phases of life the decades of life yeah I mean I, I I think I can probably speak more to how I became interested in that in the first place because it's almost like a full circle but I was surrounded by my uh, grandparents in former Yugoslavia I used to spend summers there with family and I would just sit on the patio as the youngest person in the family all the older cousins would go 
<laughs> have a lot of fun. And I would listen to their stories over and over again. And so I love storytelling. I love hearing people's stories. I will listen and I have a lot of patience listening to older adults talk about their history and their pain and their depressive symptoms. And I always try to learn something from the, the patient in front of me. And so I think that in and of itself is why I love geriatrics and why I bridge that to my rheumatology practice. And it is totally informs how I communicate with my patients. And I try to understand their social context. You know, do you live on the first floor or the second floor? Who lives at home? You know, that social history is very important to me. And what I love about that, and it's actually one of the things I love most about being a rheumatologist, is we get to know our patients so well over time. It goes in the chart, we revisit it, there's hugs. You know, there, there, this is a relationship over time. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I think the geriatrician in me has brought that out more than ever. And then now, as I see my parents in their 80s, you know, I'm seeing this firsthand and I'm not local, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I have a lot of serious conversations with my husband about taking time and we're both on the same page. We communicate about that, you know, family is priority. If it needs to happen, you know, we'll go take care of family. Absolutely. Yeah. And Yvonne, you've kind of had in the sense, um, the transition of taking care of young kids and your family, how how has that kind of impacted how you've balanced things overall? Well, you know, you, you go through different stages of life. Yes, I had the stages when my kids were little. I, I you know, recently went through the stages with my um, mother who passed in, in July. And, and, you know, but these are these are part of life. The, this, it's nothing we have to realize it's, it's, it's unique for us, but it's not unique in terms of life and uh, begin to prepare for it, to be, begin to adjust for it. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to go through sadness and grief. It's part of life. Uh, I remember being comforted by scripture that says, blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted. So it's, it's part of life. Um, and we need to fortunately I have friends and, and family and and people who support me through these things and help me through these things and and that's why I want to say again we need to nurture our experiences with other people with our co-workers with our family it's not I, I hear people who hate family members and things like that that's that affects you much more than it affects them. It's important to nurture those relationships because we need them more than we know. Uh, that that community, that gathering together, that uh, bonding together and helping each other through difficulty. I had people help me through a lot of the difficulties I've had to face and I'm grateful for that. I think resiliency and, and just personal Outlook and optimism is really important. Now I'm gonna change it up a little on us. So as I mentioned kind of earlier, we had um, a survey that launched on Room Now uh, yesterday. That survey is still open for our audience members. Please fill it out, log in, fill it out. We need your, your responses. So we're gonna show you some of these uh, survey questions and um, the full report will be up on um, Friday actually, but Shannon's sharing this slide for us, which I think is really important. I'm going to highlight just a few things from here, and I want your input, guys. I want to know what you feel about this. So in this particular slide, you're seeing that more women than men 
um, voted that they often or occasionally miss life events because of work. Now, that was 75% of females versus 54% of males who responded to the survey. Do you find that this is interesting? Is it typical? What are your thoughts? I'll start with you, Una. Tell me what you think. I'm not surprised by this. I don't know. I think that, so I'm seeing the male risk. I'm orienting myself to the different shades of blue here. Um, but, you know, I'm not surprised. And I do wonder sometimes, and I, again, I don't like to make assumptions um, because everyone's home situation is different. But, you know, uh, one is who they have at home to help them get to these events and number two what they value do they you know are you know what are the events that they actually want to attend and be part of I think those are very personal questions for each person Yvonne you started to say something I'm, I didn't mean to cut you off no that's okay I I, I I thought you said Yvonne but you didn't so it's okay well I think we can all agree that you know it is it is a struggle to find that balance. I did find this interesting personally that knowing more female respondents, but I think we talk a lot about um, the potential for gender roles and gender norms, and those are shifting as well, right? There's a balance and there's a change with that. So I actually found this pretty interesting and I'm glad you guys did too, and I'd be interested in what our audience thinks too. Um, before we move on, because I want to, in the interest of time, make sure we have plenty of time for Q&As and to discuss amongst ourselves too. But on the next slide, this, this one I found really interesting. I'm going to give you a second to look at the slide so you can kind of get oriented. But these are looking at the people who responded that they don't often miss important life events. So this is both male and female respondents who, who responded to us. Although I will say that 76% of the respondents did, did state that they were male. That's how they identified. We found that 52% rarely have personal events that affect work. So that's in the first, um, the first little diagram on the left-hand side of the screen. 95% of those people are engaged in self-care with 43% of that occurring daily. So that's kind of interesting, right? Self-care, we haven't really touched on this. I'm gonna ask you about that in just a second. And then on the far, far right, 95% of those people, again, these are the people who do not miss important events, whatever you determine as significant life events, they found that they actually reported a good quality of life, a good balance to their life. So tell me guys, what do you think about this concept of self-care? What does that look like? What does that mean to you? I'll start with Marcy because you seem to be a person who really appreciates that. And my love, you're on mute. <laughs> Don't, I, I want to call Yvonne or Una first so then they can give me ideas. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, does this, um, does this make sense to you? Is self-care important? Let's start with that. Of course, it's super important. I mean, it's just you just need to decide what is self-care for you. And then as Una and I, I, I won't have been saying, it changes during your life, right? So what is important and then what is not? So 
like before I used to be a half, I used to run half marathons, right? And to me, that was like, I need to train. And then, uh, and then now I meditate, you know? So it depends on whatever you are capable to do. And I think that as you get older, that probably also change, but you need to have something out of work, obviously, that, that can, that something time for you to do whatever you want to do. Right. And then so and I actually tried to do that, uh, you know, for my husband, like during the weekends, I said, I'm going to take uh, the baby and then you have two hours or three hours. Uh, you have two minutes. So hurry up. You have two minutes for you. <laughs> no. So, so I, I, I think that is important. And I think that is uh, important that you have that in your relationship, because otherwise you can't really do that. Yeah. I think that what this tells me, though, is that people who prioritize self-care are probably managing their time. It has to be super intentional with all the things we're balancing. And so I think that's the lesson I'm learning from this. So I got that too. And maybe some of that interest is needs to be turned back on self. And actually, there's a great question I'm going to ask you about in just a second, kind of leading up to that. But Yvonne, what does this look like for you? What does self-care mean to you? Well, uh, spending time on myself, getting my nails done, uh, going out with friends, going to the beach. Um, we haven't done it this year, but I have a friend that um, we would take Tuesday um, late afternoons off and go to the beach and just sit there and uh, just the two of us, um, uh, you know, during the winter when it wouldn't rain, I don't do that in the summer. And, and just taking care of yourself, your needs, spending time uh, my biological sisters and I, as well as now some others, um, we meet every Friday by Zoom and, and just doing things that's just um, for you. But it's also spending time with family and self-care. Having a nice, warm, bubbly bubble bath is, is self-care. It's, it's different at different times. It depends on what you need. Uh, sometimes you need to just get away. Sometimes you just need that relaxing um, time at the spa or, um, you know, going to the park. It's just where you take care of your emotional and physical needs and spiritual needs. Or a Tuesday night rheumatology with some lovely ladies. That's um, right. <laughs> I think we have this notion that self-care can be, can mean selfish. And I don't think that taking time for yourself personally means that you are being selfish, like you're taking away from another bucket. I think it's almost refilling your personal bucket so that you can do other things for the people who are important to you. Do you guys agree? I agree. And I'll also say this um, that comes to mind. It means taking time off sometimes too. And I know that's hard when you work for institutions and corporations run medicine now. But the one thing that I found a, a real significant blessing to me uh, once I went into private practice is that if I was stressed and I needed to take a day off, I could take that day off. Yeah. And that was really important. So that leads to a really good question that one of our audience members submitted. And I really, I think this is very, very, very important. So this is any advice you have for a new mom going back to work after maternity leave and specifically how to deal with mom guilt, how to get rid of the guilt that the colleagues maybe had for coverage. Where do you guys want to start with this? This is, this is a really important question. It's a big question. So how how did it go for you going back 
from maternity leave. I'll start with you, Vaughn, because I think generationally there may have been some shifts and especially going, maybe even shifting you into private practice as yeah. part of it. Um, I, I remember that when I had my baby, my, uh, my faculty uh, person at the time, a guy by the name of Jim Freeze, way before his time in many ways. And when I initially said I was going to take six weeks off, he says, take more than that. My wife is pretty strong and she took three months off. And so I did. And the interesting thing is then I decided that I was going to take the baby in with me uh, two days a week. And now that was unheard of. And I remember my husband said, are you going to ask them? I said, no, I'm not going to ask them because they'll say no. But if I just bring the baby in, they won't. And so I, I did. And then um, I remember later, uh, Nancy Lane, I'm sure she won't mind me sharing this. She, she brought her baby in. And I'll never forget, it was our weekly immunology rounds. And there was an orthopedist. And when she brought her baby in, he stood up and said, oh, no, recruitment. And then he left and never came back. But no one missed him. No, you know, so you have to just do things, some things that you think they won't let you do. It, just do it and you'll be surprised. So I did it until she was old enough to, to, to talk and wiggle around and do those things. Although I remember one time she did that a little bit and the chairman of the department said something. And then another one who was, you know, even higher, I, I guess, and renowned said, oh no, now, and I won't say the name, don't you dare say that you can't pretend you can't hear me over the sweet sound of that little baby, cooing baby. So I, I did have support. You, I would never have thought I would have gotten support from him. So you have support where you don't even know you have it. You just have to be bold enough to, to step out and do what you need to do. Not that you tear down uh, walls necessarily, because sometimes you don't have to. Um, sometimes that brings destruction. But if you do it in the, the right way and just do it, uh, you find that there'll be people who are joined with you. And that was long before all of all of uh, some of the modern things, but you, you just had to do it. Yeah, but asking for forgiveness as opposed to permission sometimes, like you mentioned, right? You're just changing, changing the narrative. And I yeah. think that's really important. Um, that's amazing that you took three months off. My mom is a dermatologist and she took two weeks off, right? For oh me. So, yeah, it's uh, a little bit crazy. So um, Una, how, how did you deal? Well, first of all, did you have mom guilt? Do oh, I did. I, I, I straddled that a little bit because I didn't love maybe that early phase. I I actually uh, was happy going back to work and using my other skills. Um, and then that's when the guilt being away from the child came in. And so, you know, it, it was an interesting balance. And what I would encourage folks to do is become really educated, be your own advocate, ask around at your institution, at your place, wherever it is, practice or institution, find out what are the rules? Like, you know, people have done this before. I know sometimes it feels like it's the first time with every pregnancy, but I promise you people have fought this fight before. Find out where those pumping rooms are and ask someone who has recently come back um, from maternity leave, how did you negotiate with the clinic directors to maybe have a slightly different template, right? Because you need to, uh, maybe a lot for some time for pumping or you, things are a little different. And I think that is part of the major stress of coming back aside from the emotional part of missing your baby. 
you know. Yeah, the unknown, right? You feel it's unknown. How do you strategize? That's a really important piece too that I would say for this, this attendee who's asking this question set up ahead of time these conversations right talk to your clinic manager talk to your colleagues um did you marcy um you were at a different stage in your career but did you have any guilt for colleagues who or or feel guilt that colleagues had to cover you did you did you experience that no because i have to do all the calls when i came back so, right. so it was balanced right you they maybe took to call up front and you took it slightly differently did you experience mom guilt? Do you have mom guilt? Oh yeah, no, I was at, I'm, uh, all the time. I'm like, a, um, I was very, because it was so hard to have my baby. So I was like very, very crazy. Uh, uh, I think that your baseline personality really gets exacerbated after you have a baby. So I was just very, you know, very protective. And I was like, she needs to sleep with me every night. And then I had to do practice days uh, to the daycare because it was so hard for me knowing that I was going to leave her there. So then I could like cry before actually I went to the real work time day. Uh, plus I wanted to see, you know, the daycare, make sure that it was what you were doing. And then, uh, um, and I think that I went back too soon. So I went back when Sofita was eight weeks. And I think that I, that is something that I regret as a mom. I was like, I should have stayed more time with my baby. But, uh, uh, and, and I think that is, I think that maybe, uh, I mean, I, it's just my perception, but I think that always as a mom, we are always thinking that you could always do something more for your baby. So I'm always thinking, uh, maybe if I did this, that was better or like something like that. So I don't know if that is the guilt, uh, uh, but that that is what I have with my baby. Yep. I will also say that um, Dr. Gwen Melton, who's also helping us with this campaign, chimed in too for our, our um, attendee who asked this question. She said, allow your spouse to help and realize that they may have different ways to help and care for your baby cooking, cleaning, um, but sharing those duties is super helpful. I will tell you that when I came back from maternity leave, um, I definitely struggled with the way my amazing husband, Marcy, I'm like you, I love my husband. He's great. I left my dream job in Texas for my dream man in, in Florida. So that's how that goes. But um, we do things differently and they are, it's very apparent that <laughs> we do things differently. But that partnership, right, that relationship, we've talked about it, relationship, communication, you guys say some very similar things. Um, and I'm, I'm loving this. This is super helpful. These are all part of the collective. I would also add, make sure you have some time and forgiveness for yourself, because it is not easy to balance any of this. Not, not just specific to new moms coming back from maternity leave, not specific to those of us with toddlers or my goodness, teenagers or anyone else. This is all about your relationship with yourself, how you see the world in terms of travel. Maybe you're into music, your culture, you have aging parents. This concept, right, of work-life struggle, of balance, it is, as Yvonne said, it is part of just being alive and allowing to the time to process these feelings is really important. So this has been really, really, really helpful for hopefully this anonymous attendee who um, we appreciate your, your question and we understand where you're coming from. So um, just another quick question for you guys. Was work-life balance easier during COVID or harder during COVID? 
so hard. I there was just blurring of all sorts of boundaries. I realized that I really need boundaries to take care of myself, to take care of everyone better. And so I'm so grateful that we've emerged a bit from those times. How did you? Although I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about myself from COVID and from the COVID experience. And, and I continue to do so. And it brought our family so close. Uh, I mean, there was a silver lining there for sure. We'll never have that type of time together again. We went through that together. It was very unique. But I realized that I, I need to get on a bike and do yoga. <laughs> and if I miss a little stretching, if I miss some of that type of self-care, I'm, I'm not as calm of a mama or a physician. So that's really good to know too. Yvonne, what did COVID teach you? I had to take myself off mute there. Um, you know, I, in some ways I loved it. I loved being home. I, I, I became like uh, Mrs. Mom in some ways doing the traditional type of things. And it was fun um, for a while. It was good for me not to be traveling so much. And I've, I've said to myself and I got to be, you know, strict and just say no. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I was traveling too much and I realized that uh, it, it was having a toll, first of all, you know, with my weight, when just being home, my weight dropped. I didn't do anything, but it dropped. So traveling and eating and all of that is not good for you unless you're really able to control uh, what you get. And, and just having the time with my husband, my family, myself, my friends. So it helped me to reevaluate that. Marcy, COVID, thoughts? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, we were just very isolated because I'm immunocompromised, right? So I think that that was difficult, uh, but um, nobody, I, 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 it didn't really make, it does make a difference in terms of going to work and all of that, but it didn't make a difference for me about the other things that we were doing because we were doing all of that since before. So it was good. It was, it was, I think that we learn a lot as humans, you know, as humans and so many things, not only about the technology and all of that, but as being humans, I think that it was nice. Yeah. I agree. It's interesting. Um, we have one last slide. I'm not going to put it up, but one of the things we talked about tonight is self-care. And um, of those people who said, I, I mentioned before that 43% of people who responded to our survey stated that they did self-care daily. So this is only looking at those people who can, can find the time. I cannot find the time, but those who did, who do self-care <laughs> daily. And again, they're defining it on their own terms, right? That's mm -hmm. the beautiful part of doing a survey. They get to determine what that looks like. Of those, 75% had previously experienced burnout. Wow. And yeah, this is, but this is even more important too. 75% of those patients also said that they currently report a good life balance. So my question to you is, is that the trick? Do we just need to have burnout first or experience what we think is burnout? And then it, it allowing us to reprioritize. And then we find this zen with the kind of ebb and flow of what it means to be balanced, whatever that means. What do you think? Yvonne, what do you say first? I don't think you have to get burnt out. I, I don't know that I can say that I was ever burnt out. Um, so, uh, sure, I've been busy and I've been tired and I said, I, uh, you know, I'm taking a day off. But I think if you get burnt out, it's gone too far. 
I, I think we need to do something before it, it gets there. I'm really glad that those who got burned out realized it and adapted and aren't going to let that happen again. And uh, that's how we should be when, when um, uh, we learn things, we, we need to uh, stick to them. But I don't think we should let ourselves get burnt out. And, or, or if we see our colleagues uh, that we're close to on that course, we need to caution them as best we can because, you know, that's costs too much wasted time, all that burnout time when you could have been doing something different. Absolutely. Any other thoughts, Una or Marcy? Yvonne said that so perfectly. If we can find the earliest uh, signs of burnout, um, and that really comes down to being mindful and knowing ourselves. And, and maybe that's the lesson of now I need to say no. If I keep adding things to my plate, it will lead to more burnout and do more self-care. I, I think Yvonne said it perfectly. We need to get the t-shirt. See? <laughs> <laughs> t-shirt. Ladies, I agree. I'm going to just, I don't think we could end that any better. <laughs> I will ask though, what is your one key strategy that you use, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, to keep yourself in check and in balance or working with that ebb and flow, however you define it, what is your one strategy that we can share with our audience for tonight? Meditation. You need to meditate. Meditate and eat chocolate. <laughs> yes. Yes to chocolate. Una, what do you think? I think really it, it, it goes back to what Marcy said in the beginning. It boils down to communication. Communicate with the people you love. Sometimes they're the ones who also remind you who you are and where, where you're misstepping. So communicate and nurture those relationships. Yvonne? Okay, I, I get my daily inspiration and encouragement actually from scripture. I read about David and some of the others and They've gone through these same emotions. I find myself reading something and that's my cry too. Um, and um, it, it's, it's just amazing. I can tell you at some of my worst situations, I'll pick up a scripture and it'll lift me up. And it's like, yeah, I can get through this. With God's help, I can get through that. And that that's my inspiration. Amen to that. I, You guys, you're amazing. I, I wanna thank you so much for participating in and attending, right? Our first Women in Rheumatology, the XX Factor Tuesday Night Rheumatology. Um, just for our audience, we are gonna be continuing this conversation. We're gonna be discussing other important topics ranging from contract negotiations, academic versus private practice, and um, same place, same time, every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern throughout the entire month of April. We are gonna conclude with the town hall, so we'd love for you all to join us as well. So come armed with questions and comments, and that's on the 25th. But as always, register and log in to roomnow.com. Please complete all of our Monday surveys. We want your opinion. We want your experience. Read our how-to blogs, our quotes. We're doing cutie clinics this month. We're doing room thoughts. Some things you haven't heard of before, so come and check it out. These are all from amazing female leaders in rheumatology. We're going to be highlighting those sex differences in rheumatology patients and our therapeutic updates. We just have a lot planned for you, and we really can't wait to see you. But Thank you again to our panelists. Please come back and join us for contract negotiations led by Dr. Gwen Melton. Same time, same place next Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thank you.